This evening we are looking at uh, 1 John chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. 1 John chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. Last week we looked at the fact that you know, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this evening, John is continuing on in that theme of love, and he's saying, Dear friends, or dearly beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So he's emphasizing, since God has loved us so much, okay? That's a fact of the matter. We know it. We want to experience that and live by that in a love that God has given to us. But he's saying, if you want to experience and allow God's love for you, then you also have to learn how to love one another as well. Now, when you're thinking about God's love, you know, God's love is very different from human love, isn't it? You know? God's love is a self-sacrificing in character. God's love is also constant in its duration. God loves forever. He doesn't say, okay, only for a short time. God love, God's love is long-suffering. He's patient in his love. So when you're thinking about you know, God's love, we want to accept, hey, I want God to be a long-suffering God. I want God to be an individual who sacrifices you know, his life for me. I like that. But the Lord is saying, if or since God has loved us so much in this manner, we ought also, in other words, it's an obligation for us. You know? We owe it to our people that we should also love them in the same way. If you notice Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 46 said, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. In other words, he's saying, look here, our love has to be different. If we love only those people who love us in return, or if you are loving those people because we want something in return, he says, hey, that's not the type of love God is speaking of. Because even the people of the world, even the most corrupt people in the world, would always love somebody, you know, because, you know, they want something from them. But here, the scripture is telling us, because we now have not a human you know, love, because God's love, his nature is there in us. As a result, the outflow of that has to be that agape love. Now, just to illustrate this, for example, if there is a pipe where water flows through, okay, the purpose of the pipe is that the water will flow through that pipe. It's not a closed-ended pipe, you know. The purpose of a pipe is always for it for the water to flow through. But if there is dirt that blocks that, the water is not going to flow through. So similarly. God wants our lives to be like pipes which will enable God's love in us to flow through us to people around us. But it can get blocked, you know, if we have our own ideas of love, if we have sin in our lives, if we are thinking only about ourselves, those things will be like a blockages. So the free flow 
of you know God's love is available. That's what the scripture tells us. God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. You know? God's love is there. So none of us can say, look here, I can't love this person. You know? This person is you know, too taxing on me or this person did this to me. Humanly, no. But God's love is there. So God wants us to be like pipes, clear, clean pipes, whereby we can allow God's love in us to flow through to others. So he's saying, you know, we should love, you know, since God has loved us, we should love. It's not an option, okay? It's not if you want to, if you feel like it, if it helps you, you know, no, no. The scripture is telling us very clearly, we ought to. It's a must over there. It's a must over there. In other words, we are bound by a moral obligation. We owe it to our people around us that they would experience, they would see that love in us. Okay. Now, do we consider loving others as a debt that we have to repay, that a debt we owe to them? Oftentimes, no, isn't it? Because we are thinking about ourselves. But the more we think about what God has done for us, we didn't deserve God's love, but he did it for us, then the natural response of that thinking would be, if this is what God has done for us, then who am I to keep that love for myself? Let me allow God to flow through, through me, show to them that God really loves them. There's an interesting passage in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And then the scripture tells us he showed them the full extent of his love. Okay. Oftentimes we think about you know, Christ's death on the cross as you know, the expression of love. But John chapter 13 tells us he showed them the full expression of his love by washing the feet of his disciples to show that servant leadership, servanthood, you know, is what God expects of us. Okay. Now, at the end of it all, what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, okay, now I washed your feet. Now, who would be the first one to wash my feet? Now, that's not what Jesus said, isn't it? Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. In other words, the proper way to love God in response to his love for us is to go out and love one another. That's the example that Jesus himself gives us in John chapter 13. Yes, we experience his love. He has washed our feet. Now, it is easy to say, Lord, I want to wash your feet. The Lord says, okay, you know, how are you going to wash my feet? You know, I want you to wash one another's feet, you know. Oftentimes, like Peter, we would be to say, Lord, Lord, you know, not me, not me. You know? But the, when the Lord says, look, if I don't wash your feet, you won't have a part of me. We go overboard and say, Lord, wash everything. But the Lord is saying, if you have been willing to receive that, oftentimes pride keeps us from that. But if you are willing to receive the love of God into our lives, then the Lord is saying, okay, in the same manner, if, since, so, you know, since God has given this love to us, we have experienced this love in our lives, so we ought to. It's a must. It's a, compl and a compulsion. It is not an option. <laughs> okay. Then in verse 12, you know, it seems a little 
out of context, you know, but if you understand you know, this verse, you will find out how it is really in context, you know, because he's been speaking so much about love, because he starts off by saying, no man has seen God at any time. Now we are talking about love, suddenly this phrase comes in between. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The greatest evidence of the invisible God is the love that we have for one another. John uses the same phrase, no one has seen God at any time, in John chapter 1 and verse 18. What does it read? It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or he has you know, revealed himself to us. But here he says, you know, if we love one another, then God's love is perfected in us. He means that the unseen God who was historically revealed in the incarnation of Jesus is now revealed to the world around us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, just as much as Jesus became the visible manifestation of the invisible God, John is saying over here, no one has seen God at any time. People are asking, how do I know God? What does John say here? He says, if you love one another, if you show this love to others, then they would know who God really is. Is. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? You know? It is like saying, we are the manifestations of the living God to people around us. Ask yourself, is that really true of our lives this evening? To say, when people look at us, can they see and know who God is? That is what John is emphasizing over here. No one has seen God, but if God's love in our hearts is made evident, visible to people around us. They have to stop and take notice and say, say something is different here. This is not an ordinary love. This is not an ordinary individual. There's something supernatural happening over here. And this is what impacted the first century church. And the first century, the church impacted the world at that time in such a powerful way. Just a couple of examples to help us to understand this. The Greek writer Lucian, who lived around 120 to 200 AD, said of the early church, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. There's a Greek writer, non-believer, looking at the life of the believers. They say, hey, how they love one another. Because that was the hallmark of the early church, isn't it? When the scripture says they had everything in common, if anybody had a need, they were willing to meet that need. The church father Tertullian said, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents when they say, look, see how they love one another. See how they are prepared to die for one another. Will this be how the outside world will describe modern Christians today? Sad, isn't it? That's not how the outside world say. They would say, see how they fight with each other. See how they don't care for each other. See how they are only building their own kingdoms. 
Now, the scripture is teaching us, even here this evening, to say, hey, this is the hallmark. This is how we know that it is God's love in us. No one has seen God. People are looking for God. Jesus came down to earth, was the visible manifestation, manifestation of the invisible God. And he has left us here on earth to be his representatives, to be visible manifestations of who God is, because it is his love that is in us. So the question this evening would be, can others see the unseen God who abides in us by the way we love? Can others see the unseen God who abides in us by the way we love? This is the convicting question that we must ask ourselves. Now, another interesting word over there where it says, no one has seen God. You know? The Greek word that is used there, it is from there we get the English word theater. So when you're speaking about seeing God, it's a question of careful observance. It's a question of a gaze. You know? It's a question of they are seeking God, gazing for God. No one has seen that in all his glory, in all his you know, uh, visibility. No one has seen that. But that is what the world is also gazing on us, isn't it? You know, the same word, no one has seen God. The world is putting its spotlight on us. We speak about Jesus being the only way. We speak about Jesus being a loving savior. We speak about God asking us to love one another. That's what the scripture says. The world is gazing on us. You know? It's like you know, we are in a theater, you know? we are on the stage. And all the audience is looking and saying, is this real? Is this real? Ask ourselves, is this real in our lives? Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is power. Oftentimes today, people emphasize, you know, the power. You know, to say, signs and wonders, this is how we know God is there. God's presence is there. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is popularity. The more a person has a following in this age of followers, you know, likes, the more number there is, then you say, hey, that is the presence of God. Some people think that the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is passionate feelings. Okay? If a person is so emotional in his or her feeling, they say, hey, that's the presence of God. But what does the scripture tell us over here? The greatest evidence of God's presence and work is what? Is God's love. Is God's love. Where God is present and working, there will be love. Where God's presence is working, there will be love. And that is how the world recognizes. And we must always examine our lives. Don't run after the popularity. Don't run after the, you know, the signs and wonders. Run after, Lord, I want your life to be seen in me. Your power of love seen in me. That my life will be changed. And as I exhibit this, as you exhibit this through my life, the world would be say, changed as well. So he says, if we do this, then he says, his love is perfected in us. It's not our love. It is his love. What do you mean by his love is perfected? Does it mean that God's love is not perfect in a, 
it is only when we love that God's love gets perfected. No, no. The word for you know, uh, you know, meaning for perfected means, you know, fully developed, you know. Or when we do this, the world is able to get a perfect understanding of who God is. The world is able to get a perfect understanding of God's love. We speak to them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Yes, that's an expression of God's love for us. But when we react the right manner, when somebody slaps us on one cheek, turn the other cheek, the Lord said. And when we do that, then the world recognizes, hey, this is not ordinary. This is definitely God's working. And that is how they get then a perfect understanding of God's love. Sad to say, if our lifestyle is not matching up with what we are speaking about God's love, the people of the world are not able to see that. What they see is enmity. What they see is jealousy. What they see is infighting. Then the world says, hey, this is not God's love. You know, you speak about Jesus dying on the cross. You speak about self-sacrifice. You speak about you know, how we forgave his enemies. But if you're still holding up grudges, the world says, hey, that is not perfection. I'm not able to see God's love. Remember, when you're speaking about God's love being seen through us, it is basically like you know, a stamp or a trademark, or an identification. How will the world know that we are different? A lot of people in this world call themselves Christians, isn't it? You know? We are all Christians, they will say, nominal Christians, or people say, we are believers. There are some people who have to keep redefining the word believer, real born-again believers. Why? Why do they have to do all that definitions? Because their life is not showing it. God wants our life to be the trademark to show that we are really belonging to him. Let me close with this illustration. <laughs> the, the Aran Islands of the west coast of Ireland are known for their beautiful sweaters. Patterns are woven into the fabric using sheep's wool to craft the garments. Many of them relate to the culture and folklore of these small islands but some are more personal. Each family on the islands has its own trademark pattern, which is so distinctive that if a fisherman were to drown, it is said that he could be identified simply by examining the sweater, his sweater, for the family trademark. Think of it. You know, just by that garment, they'll be able to identify which family he belongs to. And that's what the world is looking for. The world is looking to find out you know, whether we bear the family resemblance of God. So love is the family resemblance the world should see in us as his followers. And my prayer is that we would allow God to show his love through us. Remember, God is not asking us to produce this love by ourselves. You know? We only have to be that pipe, the clear pipe, no blockages, so that God's love, which is shed abroad in our hearts, we can't love others the same way that God wants us to love them on our own love, on our own human love. But when we ask God, God, here's an individual, help me to show your love, and then he begins to love them. And you would be surprised to say, I couldn't do it. 
but this is only of the Lord. And the people also would be able to be surprised to say, hey, you know, this person was not like this earlier. Now he or she is able to show this love. Let us be responsive to God as he does his work in us. Because the world is looking for examples, not just the teaching. The world is looking for the examples which will show to them who Jesus really is. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.